My friends, what lays before you is the myriad knowledge of an unfathomable universe. Join our intrepid remembrancers as they explore the heresy as history. From deep within the farthest reaches of the great library of Tiska, we are the Heresy Grad School. So said the War Master in his wisdom. Go forth, my sons, and illuminate them. Great weapon dwarves. Sweet dude. They're the uh, immortal ones, right? Yeah. They're, uh, I thought they were going to be a lot worse than they are for the price I had. I mean, Norba is not that expensive, so I kind of thought they were going to be a really terrible cast quality or something, but I was pleasantly surprised. Heard good things, provided that you can get your uh, package out on time. Yeah, I thought it was going to be like a three-month turnaround time. Fortunately not. Well, there you go, folks. Norba, less than three months. Hot damn. <laughs> <laughs> Customer service. Right. With, we assume, is a smile. Yeah. I mean, smile, but in Spanish. Because, you know, they're from Spain. Really? Yeah. yeah. Cool, man. I was kind of disappointed, though. I think they're discontinuing their uh, quote-unquote infernal dwarf line. Uh, because they have a lot less products for them on their web store. And I know there were a few things in my cart that just, like, disappeared. So I kind of wish I'd made this order, like, a month or so ago. That is kind of sad, actually. I have a, uh, I have a pretty reliable um, site for you, Jason, if you ever wanted to get, like, the, uh, the actual Chaos Dwarves. Oh, yeah. I've got a whole bunch in route. I appreciate it, though. Good deal, man. All right. Well... So, uh, welcome everybody to another episode of Heresy Grad School, part of the Remembrancers Retreat. And uh, today we're talking about the uh, Astro Telepathica. Just another one of these uh, fun episodes. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty cool, I think, for me, anyway, to uh, to go down the the rabbit hole, right, of of the Navigator houses, the Navis nobility, and and uh, the Astro Telepathica, I've learned a lot. And it's sort of, they're sort of both like um, cornerstones of the Warhammer 40,000 universe, right? 30,000, 40,000, like the entire sort of, you know, the, Warha the Warhammer cosmos. Um, they, it, the, the universe really wouldn't exist without, you know, um, navigators to pilot the ships and then astropaths to uh, communicate across the the vast distance right but they're very different in the way they're organized and i think i fully appreciated that i've been, done, I've been doing a lot of research and went back and i listened uh to a couple chapters in outcast dead and uh yeah the uh, god i love that book dude so it much. is pretty great it's like it's literally like graham mcneil's excuse to write about navigators and astropaths he's like okay i'm gonna Put it in the horse heresy, but what I really want to do is, like, blow this out. Oh, controversial opinion on that book. It's also his way of shitting on custodies. I mean, a little bit, uh, guys, just so everyone knows. It's one of my favorite books, even though it kind of gets written off as unnecessary filler. Because uh, a world eater tears out a custodian's spine through his chest. That was pretty, pretty cool. impressive, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's a, one of the greatest background books that you can read. Um, I think it gets sort of written off because it doesn't directly contribute to a lot of the plot. Um, it does yeah. kind of stand on its own, but it is in terms of just atmospherics, right? It's got some of the greatest atmosphere of any of the Horace Heresy books because. You're in the Imperial Palace, right, for most of the book. And not like the parts of the Imperial Palace that we know, but like the the gritty petitioner city. Um, and it just takes you to the, you know, some of the, the, the parts that we'll all talk about later. But um, it's just, it's amazing in terms of its background source material. Um, I mean, so. it's certainly like 
it's also a lot longer than a lot of the side stories that we're used to as well. Like, I mean, uh, Twisted, I can tell you, is a whole lot shorter than that. And <laughs> so is uh, Little Horace. Which are both, I think, are they Graham McNeil stories? Um, That's a good question. One second. It's been forever and a day since I've I've read it. Um, no, Little Little Horace is Dan Abnett, and then uh, Twisted is. Wow, I feel bad for doing this. Um, right, you only mention it every other episode. Shut your mouth. Uh, Twisted is uh, Guy Haley. Okay. Yeah, I'll that makes that. sense. Well. Oh, now that I'm thinking about it, Little Horse has that Dan Abnett vibe to it. But go ahead, Jason. It really does. But, um, that makes me think of um, another kind of unique part to this book is it's almost the... F- I think it may be the first time we see the Thunder Warriors mentioned as anything other than, you know, just like a passing novelty. Yeah. Less so as like the mythos, like they were around, they aren't anymore. Yeah. And yeah. uh, it doesn't give quite the same up close and personal view that say, um, shoot, what is it? Uh, Dreams of Unity. Uh, if you guys have not checked out Dreams of Unity, uh, it's one of the short stories in Heralds of the Siege. Uh, you figure out, they flat out tell you exactly what's happening with the last few Thunder Warriors left on Terra. Uh, it's not great, but it's also pretty great. It's not great for the Thunder Warriors, but it's, yeah, it's a, it a is, fantastic story. It is amazing. And see, I think Nick Kime catches a lot of flack for, you know, being kind of goofy and, oh, God knows, I've heard it's also a hammer, like, so many times. I think it's actually in our, uh, it's on one of our t-shirts. But, I think um, it's on the, uh, the Ladies of the Heresy stuff, if I remember correctly. Yep, yep, it is. Hey, go check out our merch store. Shameless plug. <laughs> Shameless plug. Uh, and that's goofy as shit. Like, I will never argue that point. But I think Nick Kime really does great work in, like, short stories. It feels like he just gets kind of bored and wanders a bit with larger stuff. But well, I, I don't know if you over there. I don't know if you guys know this, but he's he's actually the editor for Black Library. So he yeah, put... that seems a good job. Yeah, he, <laughs> yeah, yeah right? I guess so. <laughs> he's gotta, he's gotta herd all those cats, man. And so yeah. he's he's pretty cool, actually. When I when I've when I listened to him talk on the, uh, I guess it was the Siege of Terra, right, leading up to the Siege of Terra. Um, Black Library released a bunch of short videos they did with various author authors and then editors as well, right, or the editor. So Nick Kime gets to sort of sit in the room with all these guys, you know. And, uh, yeah, get them to write, you know, coherent stories. And so I can only think that, like, after 54 full-length novels of The Horse Heresy, I think he's done a pretty good job. We need more, though. That's going to cause a whole lot of OCD folks' problems that they stop the series officially at book 54. You think? Because it's not not like a, a round number? Yeah. Like, at least hit 55, like... That's funny, man. Put out, like, before you officially end the Horus Heresy and start, what is it, Siege of Terra, the series, at least get yeah. it to 55, man. 54 is weird. Yeah, give us Maybe a they're... short story about a... I mean... Child on a compliance world, or... I don't know. It's divisible by three. It's It's awkward. It's an awkward number to leave a series at. I'm okay with it. Okay with it being over. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so Jason, what are we, uh, what are we, what are we doing today, man? All right. So astropaths, uh, this is something I've been kind of excited to talk about here because, um, live with them, can't live without them. I mean, yeah, kinda, uh, I really thought it'd be a good follow through from our last episode on, uh, the navigators because really it's the navigators and the astrotelepathica eventually to become the Adeptus Astrotelepathica, that makes the Great Crusade, like, as a project, actually plausible. Like, I think there are plenty of Black Library books where the scale kind of gets lost, as in, um, like, the actual galaxy-spanning, you know, entire size of the Great Crusade. Because 
you hear things like, oh, well, you know, the 63rd Expeditionary Fleet is probably the most well-known. And you hear it like, you know, it spends six months here, conquers this planet, spends, you know, a year here on campaign in this system. And I think it loses some of that sense of scale that really uh, we touched on it in um, one of our book reviews where we... Uh, talked through Horus Rising, the very first novel, Dan Abnett actually puts a flat number on the uh, amount of primary and secondary uh, expedition fleets and support elements going on, and it's close to 4,000, which sounds like a whole bunch, but when you're talking about the entire span of known and unknown galaxy both, and just thousands upon thousands into the millions of stars and worlds that this great crusade has to expand to conquer, that's one of the big things about the navigators is how they make it possible. So what I wanted to start with um, is actually a little bit of a bridge between the navigators and the Adeptus Astrotelepathica. So if you guys want to check out page 21 in the very first book, uh, it's got a super cool little star chart between uh, page 20 and 21. And this is kind of all the love that the Astrotelepathica get in the black books. So much more Dave than myself, because Dave's our local rabbit hole expert. But uh, we really had to dive into some other sources because between like the novels, you kind of get little bits and pieces outside of the Outcast Dead, of course of what exactly it is the Astrotelepathica and the Navigators do. But this gives us kind of like a good little baseline. But the important thing to remember is Navigators would not be where they are helping to cruise between star systems in an amount of time that doesn't take multiple generations. Uh, they would not be where they are without the Astronomicon. So this is a project the Emperor started on way, way back before he even conquered Terra all the way. Um, before even the Great Crusade kicked off, this Astronomicon was constructed, and it was kind of to establish a sort of pole star in the warp for navigation. And we touched on this a little bit last time. But um, what I thought was kind of interesting is it enveloped most of the population of burgeoning Terra, which is just a crazy amount of people, even after they've been thinned by the Unification Wars, but more or less every reach of resource that the Emperor had in this very early part of the Unification was put towards constructing Astronomicon. And it was built soon after his quote-unquote alliance uh, with Mars because it was supervised by hundreds of Martian tech priests. Uh, Again, this is another good example of how the Emperor never really gets off the ground without Mars, but I digress. So, it allowed navigators to use this as a reference point to plot journeys, which allowed work travel with an unprecedented margin of safety. Now, given even then, it's still not great. Uh, even when they have it, uh, the Astronomicon to guide themselves by, there's still all sorts of wacky warp shenanigans like you know, you end up arriving at your destination a week before you originally left. Crazy stuff like that. But it allows speed and travel that's never been a, even attempted before, uh, much less decently regular, and it allowed the span of the Great Crusade to be semi-reasonable. It was actually referred to as the Emperor's Light um, early on, and people weren't really aware of this, but it was actually a focusing beacon for a portion of... Oh, and... Oh, hold on a sec, everybody. Small disruption. There we go. Let's get Jason back. <laughs> Yay, Jason's back. Sorry about that. We timed out. Small computer glitch. Not a problem. All right. Am I unmuted? Yes, you were unmuted. Excellent. Where was I? Uh, Talking about the Astronomicon. <laughs> That's not too broad at all. No. I think, I think you were talking about how it was a, a focused beam of light. Ah, thank you. So, uh, it was actually built to sort of be able to focus the Emperor's power, which wasn't a really widely known fact at the time, but it allowed him to channel a portion of his psychic energy into this kind of self-sustaining uh, North Star in the warp. 
And again, it made the uh, Great Crusade the span of which, uh, the span of travel of which, to be semi-reasonable. So you're talking about maybe months or a couple years of travel instead of generations or centuries. So where does this leave us with the Astra Telepathica? So in the same way the navigators made travel at these great ranges possible, uh, the Astra Telepathica were created to make communication and coherency between the burgeoning you know, Great Crusade and the Empire of Man semi-reasonable. Now, it's definitely not a perfect system, but during the final months of the conquest of Terra, the Emperor started putting these together pretty much at the same time as the Astronomicon, and he considered them really essential, even though allegedly he didn't favor the use of psychic talent in others. Now, as we all know, if you've listened to 30 seconds or more of our Thousand Suns coverage, you know this is a huge load of crap. Uh, the Emperor was willing to exploit anything possible, and he was probably a little dicey about anything, you know, working around the warp, because, you know, they might find out all of his crazy secrets. However, uh, this is another one of those kind of open secrets of the Emperor, is that he's creating yet another division of specialized psychers while outwardly sort of trying to remove all connection between you know, the warp and humanity he's trying to save. And I kind of thought it was interesting because maybe in the same way as he was probably planning to do with many of the Primarchs and the Thousand Sons as a Legion, was he only using the Astra Telepathica as long as he needed for his final project, his, you know, colonies in the webway to get started. But that's way, way down the road. So, the Emperor was well aware of the dangers in the warp, and Terra had possessed plenty of, like, crazy psychopathic psychers, uh, you know, witch kings ruling over everybody with a psychic mind grasp uh, through the Age of Strife. There was that huge upswing in mutation and psychic manifestation. Uh, but that does make more psychers available for specialized projects like this. So the Astra Telepathica, or which is... Um, uh, composed of astropaths, with a sh which is short for astrotelepath. Uh, they're telepath psychers that communicate across crazy distances, but they don't do it in a very coherent way. It's not like a uh, psychic walkie-talkie. Uh, they communicate via empathic transmissions uh, and visual allegories. So instead of, uh, think of it like using a long-range interpretive dance to with your mind to get your point across to somebody that's like hundreds and or thousands of light years away. And even with the huge problems that, you know, are obviously would cause even at a baseline, uh, considering like so much of this is subjective and open to interpretation, uh, it's the best idea they have and the only one that's really feasible. So, However terrible this system may end up being, it allows a sort of coherency between the massive reaches of the Great Crusade. Uh, astrotelepaths themselves are all specialized psychers. They're all telepaths, but they undergo what's called the soul binding. Uh, it's a specific ritual where the emperor himself is the only one that can complete it, and he shapes and sort of refines the... Um, cerebral pathways and the structures of their mind to uh, strengthen their telepathic con um, their telepathic talent and refine their powers but it also helps to protect them against incursion and psychic dangers and while doing this though not all of the telepaths he attempts to perform this on survive uh, some are straight driven insane all are affected and altered in different ways and one of the most obvious of these are all astrotelepaths are blind uh, because the Emperor's light is pretty damaging to optic nerves. Uh, many others, though, had their senses of smell, touch, or hearing altered or completely destroyed as well. Uh, funnily enough, uh, no, uh, that last one, sense of taste, apparently not, you know, molested at any point. So, at the very least, they could instill, like, enjoy a burrito, but 
they just couldn't see, smell, touch, or hear it. So, you know. I've always wanted to hear a burrito coming, but, you know, whatever. Right? Just in case. Yeah. I mean, there could be, like, an Astartes just standing beside you, and he slaps you in the face with the burrito. And you would never know, because you couldn't feel know. it or see it. But you could taste the beans. You know, this small mercies, soul- right? The emperor is generous. I think the ritual of soul binding is one of the most fascinating parts of um, the astropath or the astrotelepathica. Um, so I was listening to Outcast Dead and the sort of the memory of of Kaizu Lane, who's our her sort of you know protagonist. Um, but he he's relaying a memory where he's led um, out of the city of sight, which is the sort of the where all of the astrotelepathica um, uh, novitiates are trained, right? And he's literally led to um, the imperial palace, and he kneels in front of the emperor, right? So he literally kneels before the master of mankind and undergoes the ritual of soul, of soul binding, which it's it's that is an almost implausible thing to imagine, right? So. We sort of, we know that um, not every psyker is powerful enough to become um, an astropath. In fact, very, very few are. Most of the psychers, most of the nascent uh, humans with with nascent psychic ability are simply rounded up and they're taken to the hollow mountain, right? They're sort of fed into the the astronomicon. But... uh, if you are deemed, uh, you know, sufficiently powerful or put, you know, have the willpower, the psychic um, willpower, mental um, ability to sort of to manifest this special type of psychic uh, gift, right? Then you are taken to the city of sight. It, but in later years, right, in, in 40K, after the emperor is interred on the golden throne. Do they throne. just kind of hope it works? No, no. So they still do the ritual of soul binding, but it's a little different, okay. right? It's it's just a little different. But um, but to think about this in terms of the Great Crusade, that every astropath is kneeling in front of the emperor, that's phenomenal, man. You know, that is, that's like, that is like a less than one point, you know, 0.01% of all of mankind. And that, not most, but, but certainly some of them do not even survive that ritual. So I think it is interesting. It's also interesting to me that the soul binding ritual specifically says a portion of the emperor's psychic might is invested into the astropath. You know, which is like, I mean, it's like this guy has got to just have a phenomenal, I mean, obviously the emperor, right? It has to have a phenomenal amount of psychic potential. And that even 10,000 years later, right, they're still making astropaths. And they're probably making them at an even greater, greater rate. Um, so I mean, especially I with the new rift, you, you can only imagine like <laughs> the need to like be able to talk to somebody. Yeah, on, on like ball or something yeah. like that from Terra. But um, but yeah, I thought I thought that was some, one of the most fascinating parts of of the astropath, the astrotelepathica that that I certainly didn't have a full appreciation of, right? Because I, I think we just often we go to the part of of the of the story that appeals to us the most, right? Which is which are the you know the the transhuman, posthuman, super armored warriors or the mortals. Um, or the Mechanicum, but we never stop and we are like, ah, you know, the Astropath. But I, Jason, I was telling Pat that I found this amazing um, uh, source document, right? So somebody, and I don't know who it is, because if I did, I would certainly give them credit. Somebody has compiled a complete uh, dramatis personae of the Horus Heresy, right? So like books wow. one... Dude, insane, right? So take a guess. Just take a guess. How many specific characters there are from the Astro Telepathica in the the Horse Heresy books? I'm going to say five. 
Pat? Um, I'm going to shoot for... Let's see, there's one. I'm, I'm trying to remember because I know there's a couple in like when the heresy starts out. I'm going to shoot for 10. So you guys are actually both way under. There's tw- at least 25. Okay. Right. So let me let me let me read you some names, and I think it'll 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 jog your memory. Um, Kaizu Lane, obviously from yeah. Outcast yeah. Dead, right? Um, uh, Athena Dios, mm-hmm. also also Outcast Dead, but uh, but do you guys remember Armina Fell? Was she the and one that was talking to Dorn in like she, book three? She is in fact Dorn's personal senior after. Astropath. She's huh. the adjutant to Rogaldorn. Yep, she appears in Crimson Fist and Praetorian of Dorn. Okay. Um, we have. Let's see. Um, I'm just going over Astropaths here. We have Yang, who's from Ghost Speak Not. I remember him. <laughs> but I mean, there's so many. There are so many Astropaths. Um, and. Yeah, even you know, even in Fulgrim, um, you've got uh, Sistor, who's the master of the Astropaths, the fifty-second expedition, and then, I mean, it's just it's amazing to to go back and start to read some of these names, um, and and remember that oh yeah, that guy was there, right? He did exist. <laughs> so, and then of course Ingmay Singh, right? Who of is course. the mistress of Astropaths, sixty-third ex- expedition. Um, Tragic fate there. Sorry, sorry, Ing. Uh, but uh, but yeah, no. I mean, there. So I, I love that. I love that. For me, this is jogging all my memories, and it's going back, and I'm remembering all these really um, interesting uh, supporting characters that but, do in fact exist. Yeah, they're they're super important to the to the story. Um, but I think what, the other thing I wanted to touch on, Jason, is is uh, the idea of how the astropaths construct and convey meaning, right? So you touched on it a little bit um, with, you know, sort of the allegorical message. It's called actually an autochristasian transcript, all right? And so each astropath, from the very beginning when they're a novitiate, um, they're taught to interpret their dreams, right? Because dreams have meaning. And for astropaths, dreams are very important because they are the, the, the vehicle, they're the vessel through which meaning is, is um, interpreted. And so that's why, so they, so they sort of, they go into this trance, right? It's an astropathic trance. They go into the trance, they receive the message, um, and then they are able to interpret it based on um, sort of their their book of dreams, right? And I, I can't remember exactly what it's called right now. I will find out for you guys. Don't they also have, like, ciphers inlaid into, like, their mm-hmm. memories and things like that? And that's how, you know, you yep. get the... I know in some of the 40K novels, and, and actually even in the 30K ones, they talk about, like the levels of, of transmission, like Vermilion and things like that, and like the Dan Abnett books. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so, and that's what, that's how it's, it's possible to pass sort of encrypted um, messages through an astropathic um, vessel, an astropathic duct, right? So that it, it can be retransmitted, which is really all you're doing is you're just doing retrans, right? So right. if you're at the far end of a galaxy it's not like this super powerful astropath or an astropathic choir, which we'll we'll get into a little bit the 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 meaning and the the purpose of a choir. But it's not just like they're throwing this out into the void and the warp and ho- hoping it's gonna you know get to Terra, you know, which is like a thousand light years away. No, there's like there there are astropathic ducks and there are astropathic relays along the way. And in fact, if you're an astropath let's say on a rogue trader vessel and you pick up a distress a distress call coming from a certain sector of space but it's not in, it's not intended for you it's just it's a it's a distress call that needs to get to somewhere well it's your responsibility to then relay that distress beacon or distress call or encrypted message back to um, where it's supposed to go right 
So it's almost like each one of these astropaths has a function and a role that is above and beyond simply um, what they're doing, you know, uh, sort of the day to day, right? So they're obviously they're in service or enthralled to um, a navigator, I'm sorry, a, uh, a rogue trader or uh, some other form of, of administratum or imperium, uh, you know, uh, organization, but they still serve this broader purpose, which is to communicate and pass the messages of the Imperium abroad. So he, speaking of, I really wanted to read this. This is, this is, a, this is an example of what a, an auto uh, Christocesian transcript, transcript would be. So this is sort of how astropaths uh, communicate. This is from um, the Rogue Trader series, and the Navis Primer is the source for this. It's uh, under the heading of Choirs of Astropaths. So it says, I see an angel in red, his eyes plucked from his skull and his wings torn from his shoulders. A hot wind blows from the north, bringing with it the scent of crushed lotus and rancid iron. I hear the drone of the blood wasp and the whisper of the third mad sun. I see, I see a warning. And that is the transcript of the last words of astropath Ihora slain in a Chaos Reaver attack hours later. So that is exactly how astropaths would, uh, would communicate and would send messages through the warp. And uh, yeah, and then, you know, try to interpret that, man. I mean, if there was any doubt in the 30K setting, even their walkie-talkies are metal as fuck. Yeah, love it. But, um, yeah, so so I, I really have gained a, a, a whole new level of appreciation for Astropass. Um, so what the Astrotelepathica does, and, and, and has done even since the earliest days of the heresy, is they are the, they train Astropass that then go out and serve the broader interests of the, that would have been the Great Crusade in the very beginning in the 30K era. Um, later, it becomes the broader interests of, you know, the, uh, the High Lords of Terror, right? The, the Administratum and uh, the Imperium at large. So let's look at a guy like Kai Zulane. Kai Zulane is uh, probably the most promising gifted astropath that's come out of the city of sight in generations, right? He's personally trained by Mistress Sarashina, and he is then, um, he is then uh, basically through some machination that we're never really privy to, he is, he is sort of uh, become part of House Kastana. So he is, in he is, in a sense, the property of a navigator house. Um, so House Kastana, essentially, uh, when the Argo disaster happens, uh, has the navigator and the astropath, the senior astropath, on the Argo. So they sort of are bearing full responsibility for this tragedy, right? The 13th Legion is like, man, you lost... 10,000 of our, uh, of our warriors, our Stardis. And so House Kastana is really trying to deflect uh, responsibility here. And so they send Kai back to uh, the city of sight, right? Like he's broken, right? They send him back like, hey, man, you gave us a, a bad astropath. But really, they didn't. Um, he really is one of the, the more powerful astropaths uh, that ever came out of the city of sight. Um, but I thought that was interesting because if you, if you sort of peel the onion back on that, every astropath that leaves the Astrotelepathica palace on Terra, which is inside of the Imperial Palace, and every single astropath is trained there that I know of, even into the 41st millennia. I don't think there is any other place in the galaxy where astropaths are trained. Um, which is fascinating just in and of itself, right? Like that supply distribution pipeline must be uh, pretty wild. Um, but so they're, 
So when they come out of the city of sight and they're sort of certified, right, like astropath, right, you get your little astropath diploma. And uh, I guess you have like you have like a GPA, right? Like you're, you know, you're 4.0 guys. They go to like House Castana and the Navigator houses and they probably go um, serve on, um, you know, in Imperial battle groups and stuff. Head of the uh, astropathic <laughs> relay, excuse me. Yeah, no, so so seriously, right? So you but so your other ones, right? You're sort of like your 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 two point guys, right? Your two point five guys. Um, you know, they go to the choir, right? Like they're just gonna go to the choir and they're basically going to become part of this vast construct of uh, communications that exist in the Imperium. Um, and, and, and in the heresy was the Great Crusade, it was the galaxy at large. Um, and so literally 24-7, they're just in this trance cycle, right? They're, they're, they're just interpreting j- dreams and they're interpreting messages and then they're decoding them and they're, and they just, I mean, the burnout rate is phenomenal, right? Like you're lucky if you last five or you know 10 years in in a choir because you're just you're just getting um you know sort of 24 7 your mind's open to the to the warp you know and all of the things that can go wrong uh you know warp incursions or intrusions uh are are going to happen if you're lucky enough to make it through that process if you're mentally strong enough so you do your time, you know, in the trenches on an astropathic choir. Then you can come out of that and then you either become the head of the choir or you go on to serve in, a, in, in an advisor capacity or you become sort of the, the, the head astropath on, a, uh, on like a rogue trader vessel or uh, in an imperial battle group or, or certainly in the 41st millennia. Um, for an inquisitor, uh, but, uh, but yeah, it, the life of an astropath is not an easy one. Um, in fact, I think most of our listeners will will be familiar with the advanced aging process that happens. Um, so Kai, while he's thirty standard years, you know, he already looks like he's in his late fifties. And uh, Sarashina, who's undergone extensive rejuvenant work because she's just so she's so critical to the Imperium. Um, she looks like just like ancient. And uh, yeah, so it's, uh, it's, you know, they're, they, they are burned out. But you almost never hear about an astropath going rogue, right? Like you never hear about an astropath becoming corrupted. And my theory is, and I don't have any source document for this, but my theory is because of the soul binding process, because a a tiny part of the emperor's psychic soul is transferred to the astropath, that they really are, they they do become sort of not uncorruptible, but uh, certainly highly resistant to malign influence, right? Like they can be burned out, they can have their mind explode, they can, they can be eaten by demons, but they're not going to go rogue. They're not going to go renegade. Um, and uh, I think that's, that is an interesting sort of, sort of little thought to, to ruminate on. I don't know. What do you guys think? I mean, they do have the black judges whose sole point is to, like, club to death an astropath who's undergone, like, an incursion, right? Oh yeah, so the the black sentinels, the ones that that sort of guard the city of sight. Those are the guys. I get them mixed up with the black judges <laughs> from the Iron Warriors. From Olympus, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So the black sentinels are interesting. Um, they are completely a knee jerk reaction, um, based on the Council of Ny- Nikea, right? So the conclave at Nikea happens. Uh, the emperor kind of gets his arm twisted. Um, I think he kind of, he and Malkador kind of, uh, <clears throat> I'll say it. I think they were pussies. Um, I think they should have told, uh, Ooh, shots fired. Yeah. I, I, I think they should have told, um, uh, who's the fucking Primarch of the death 
the Death Guard. Why can't I think of his name? Mortarian. Mortarian. Yeah, I think they should have told Mortarian to sit down and shut up, right? Shut the shut the fuck up, Mortarian. Sit down, man. You're, you're made of warp shit too. Um, like full disclosure, we... <laughs> all three of us are Thousand Suns players, so our coverage might be biased. Yeah, and none of us really enjoy Magnus. Uh, I, I I like Magnus. I mean, just, Dave is kind of a Magnus. A Magnus fan, right? This is true. Out of the out of the three of us, he's the only one that actually has a Magnus model. Both of yeah, them, to be true. precise. But um, but yeah. So so they are really a knee jerk reaction to the Council of Nikea and the fact that the fact that the Istvan massacres, uh, not shortly after the Council of Nikea, but but you know within a few years, um, it was probably a good thing that that they had these guys because yeah as soon as that as soon as that sort of that that traffic that message traffic started flowing back um there were some astropaths that were just going just batshit crazy like they couldn't handle so one of the things about being an astropath an astro telepath right because this is the teleempathic part of of being um soulbound and being a psyker is that you pick up the background noise of everybody's thoughts and just all that chatter in That's the background. That's got to be awful. Oh, it's, it's, I mean, absolutely, right? Like, you can't tune it out. They've got mantras that they can say to kind of, like, try to build the mental bridge. But, um, yeah, when they're out in the warp, uh, warp screams and the and the ch- the chittering of demons and like all that shit's right there, and so especially like we, you hear about astropaths going mad when they hear the echoes of like uh, a catastrophe, like a world uh, that that dies, right? Um, and even to the point where they can pick up these echoes thousands of years later, so. Astropaths close to the Eye of Terror, the Maelstrom, um, will still hear the death screams of alien races, which is even more insane because they don't know what the fuck they're saying. They're just like a billion voices cry out in agony and they just hear that shit over and over again, right? So they just can't process it, man. They just like just... Yeah, full fucking overload. Um, so, so it was probably good they had these guys around, right? The Black Sentinels. Um, they, but I mean, they're there as much to to you know kill off guys who are who are just having complete and utter, utter seizures because they just heard a world die, but also just to protect them in general. Uh, yeah, not so much. I, I, you, you, so you would think that they'd be like a security force to protect the astropaths, but they're really, their job is to make sure that, um, that if a psyker becomes possessed, right? So if like a demon takes over, uh, that they're, there is like the, they're like the fail safe, right? They're trained, they're a specialty trained force of psyker killers, so they're they're jailers, they're executioners, and they're specially trained um, psyker killers. So, and, and you and this is the testimony of Kai Zulane, right? Kai's like, I couldn't wait to get the fuck out of the Whispering Tower and the City of Sight, right? It's not like a great place for these guys. Like people, like the astropaths that are there, they go through harsh initiation as a novitiate. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're put through the ringer and then of course they go in front of the emperor and have their eyes melted out, right. And have their fucking senses burned out. Right. So they're like, by the time they go through all that, they're like, I'm ready to go, man. This is not a place of happy memories for me. This is not like, you know, this is not summer camp. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, so it's like, I'm just like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's grim. This shit is super grim. This is why I love I love talking about the Astropaths and the Navigators because it is like the foundation of the grim dark, man. It's just what so, this shit was built on, you know? I, and I love how grim dark it is. Like, it, this is a slight non sequitur, but you look at, like, let's take another sci fi genre for a second. Let's uh, look at, for instance, Star Trek. Like, 
Warhammer could have easily done, like, signals in Star Trek are just sent through, like, relays. There aren't humans there. It's all mechanical stuff. You know, you just get a get a signal from from Earth every once in a while. Or, you know, to navigate, they just have warp drives and they just plot it. But, like, how grimdark is it that everything is reliant on these humans that are essentially killing their bodies in order to get you from one place to another? Or to get a message from one place to another? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think what makes the genre really unique and really appealing to me um, is it is at its core about um, the sacrifices that humanity undergoes to survive, right? So, um, you know, the astropaths have their eyes burned out and have their souls bound to the emperor. The Astartes have their memories wiped so they can't even remember who their fucking parents are or where they came from, right? They have little echoes, which makes it even worse, right? It's not even like they were completely removed. It's just like, oh, I can't remember where I grew up, but I remember the face of my little sister, you know? It's like that kind of shit, man. That kind of shit just gives it like the gravitas of, 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 of the dark you know, Imperium. Um, And I think more than any other genre, it really does, you know, reflect on that. And, uh, and I just love it, man. And it's dystopian as fuck. It's just, it's, it's all of the human darkness rolled into one, right? Nightmares and dreams, our souls create our, our worst enemies, you know, our, 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 you know, our moral failings create our worst nightmares in the flesh. It's just fucking awesome, dude. Mm. So, uh, so I don't know what we were talking. We we're talking about the Black Sentinels, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, that was a little, little, little. Uh, it's okay. This is why people listen. To, uh, little rabbit you hole. know, people like the rabbit holes. So yeah, um, there's not actually a lot written about the Black Sentinels. I think they show up in one other novel, which is the Praetorian of Dorne. Um, and so they're on board uh, one of the vessels in Praetorian of Dorne. Uh, but that's that's literally the only two references we have to the Black Sentinels. Um, how are we doing? Do you guys want to do, do you guys want to take a walk through the um, city of sight with me? I mean, we certainly can. Okay. Or, or do you want to save that for uh, for next week? Yeah, we we certainly could. I mean, I think between talking about the city of sight and then going back and forth between sort of the navigators and the astropaths uh we've got enough material for at least another episode if not oh yeah if not two but i mean in and of itself like starting this whole stuff like i was super excited about navigators but you never realize how much interconnection there is yeah i mean and and even like when i was re-listening to outcast dead because i knew that that was going to be the source material for a lot of, of what I was going to talk about. Like right off the very beginning, it's Kaizu Lane, you know, being essentially, he's getting a fit for duty report, right? Like from house, from a house, Castana, uh, uh, chirurgeon, like, a, I think they call him like a neuropsychic chirurgeon, right? So he's like a shrink for psychers. And he's giving like Zulane this fitness report, which is like you represent a considerable investment on the part of House Castana, you know. And so they're not just gonna like throw them away and cut their losses, but they've got to save face, you know. So yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, uh, yeah. No, I think we'll we'll take a we'll take a wonderful stroll uh, through the city of sight with Dave next episode. And uh, I think we've got even more stuff to go with that, too. So, you know, I I'm, I guarantee you I'll, I'll go pull out a fantasy flight book and find something new. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Yeah, that's the other thing I would say, guys, is is get your hands on some of the uh, fantasy flight games, um, Warhammer 40,000 RPG uh, supplements, because, yeah, they're, they're just amazing for uh, the, the background lore and... The, the little nuggets of wisdom. I mean, ostensibly, there's a role-playing game in there, but, I mean, <laughs> honestly, you could just read these things for, like, the magical, like, tomes of knowledge that they are. Oh, yeah. Easy. 
You know what the other insane thing about them is, Jason? I think I don't know if you know this, but but Pat sort of told me this, and it it, it made sense once I started reading them. So they're all interconnected. Like they're all yeah, they're all in like set all within in, the same system. They're all within the same system, and even some of the um, the story arcs cross over. Uh, I think it was was it 2012, 2010? I'm honestly, it, if somebody corrects me in a comment, I'm perfectly fine with that. But so they released a story arc for um, Death Watch. Black Crusade and Rogue Trader that all interconnected. I think it's uh, Harlock. I think it's the Harlock trilogy. Right, the Harlock saga. I remember that. Yes, yes. Yeah, but like, and it was like a big event, how to do kind of thing, so. Yeah, but um, but it's 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 pretty legit. I actually think, I think, Pat, and we'll have to go back and, and, and fact check me on this, but the sector that it's set in, uh, I think I found in Imperial Armor 13. So we'll, uh, we'll have to go back and do some checks, but I think it's there, man. Yeah, man. So, yeah. Cool. All righty. Well, I uh, hope you all enjoyed this episode of Heresy Grad School. Um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, the only thing I have to plug, I guess, right now is... Go check out our, our, our merch. Go check out uh, Patreon. Every little bit helps. Also, I think uh, once this episode or when the this episode releases, you guys will see our new uh, Heresy Grad School artwork that we just got back. It is exciting. Pat's is. officially a member of the crew now. <laughs> yeah, I'm the I'm the goofy guy in the middle with the the cocky smile. Um, but yeah, Dave, you got anybody to plug? Nope, um, but I did just want to like tell our listeners that I think once we get up to ten Patreons, which is I think at any level, right, Pat? Right, it's just as long as we have ten, then everybody who's a Patreon will get a vote in like us a, a segment that we do on I grad think school. Everyone who's at the Praetor level, which is okay. our, which is. The mid or high tier. I'm I'm honestly not quite sure, but yeah, we, you know, we we want to have you guys, you know, we want to give you guys the option of influencing the content. That's know. like that's still like what that's like five and eight bucks, right? Yeah, it's not it's not a lot. Yeah. So I did I just wanted to do full disclosure. Um, I don't know how close we are. I think we're a few a few folks away. Um, but if that's something you guys are into, uh, I think, you know, we just need a few more people to sign up and then we'll open up a poll. Uh, you guys can write in some suggestions, you guys can vote and, uh, we'll go down the rabbit hole, man. Yeah. Oh, and also, uh, with any of the tiers, uh, with our Patreon, you get, uh, discounts to our, to our, uh, store. So, you know, if you want a Remembrancer's Retreat mug, excuse me, or a Heresy Grad School mug, um, or a t-shirt, something like that, we got it. Very cool. Yeah. Jason? Uh, still waiting for that Coca-Cola sponsorship, but <laughs> other than that, I am content for the evening. All right. Well, thank you all for listening, and uh, hope you all enjoy. Fuck off, Greg. Greg. Hey.